Welcome to the Shambhala Sunday Gatherings podcast. Each week, we invite a guest presenter from the Shambhala community to talk about what is meaningful to them or to share a brief Dharma talk. These explorations range from the reality of impermanence, death, and the unknown to how we express and work with joy, contentment, and fearlessness in our daily lives. Presenters offer a guided meditation or contemplation practice and invite reflections, comments, and questions from participants about the poignancy and complexity of our shared journey on planet Earth. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shambhala Sunday Gathering podcast. Welcome everyone to this week's Shambhala Sunday Gathering with Acharya Daniele Bolini. My name is Faraday Rudy and I'm delighted to be your host for this week's gathering. At this time, it is my great pleasure to introduce Acharya Daniele Bolini. So Acharya Daniele Bolini was born in 1965 in Bellinzona in Switzerland and started to study and practice the teachings of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche in 1981 with the Lugana Dharma Study Group. He has been a Scorpion Seal practitioner since 2009 and director of the Ticino Shambhala Center from 1990 until 2005. He has has been a, a teacher since 1990, mainly in the Swiss, Italian and Italian area. In recent years, he has been teaching Shambhala training to teachers in the secondary schools of Canton Ticino in South Switzerland. After finishing his studies in classical archaeology in Freiburg in 1989, he began to teach history, geography, and Italian in secondary school in Ticino. He is now active as an expert and consultant in history didactic in the public school of Canton Ticino and teaches history didactic at the local teacher's university. He is also the co-author of two volumes on Swiss history for secondary schools. Daniele is married and has a 21-year-old daughter. Acharya Bolini is with us today to speak about working with our resistance to reality. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Acharya. Thank you, Fardi, for uh, <clears throat> your introduction and for inviting me. And uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Wherever you are, north or south hemisphere or any side of the big pond. So, um, as uh, it is said, the topic of this evening is uh, ignorance, and we might shorten the title just saying why we ignore. And uh, we are going to explore it for different point of views. One, of course, is the Buddhist point of view, but maybe also a little bit of the scientific point of view. And we're going to explore it from an individual, personal point of view, but also from a societal point of view. 
since the Shambhala teachings are all the time putting together all these levels, individual and collective. So and just a little detail, I want to add it more here. Uh, please, apologies for my English, which is far from being perfect, both in terms of pronunciation and grammar. So when I've been invited to teach in this situation and people ask me what I wanted to teach about, the topic of ignorance came about because I feel we are in a very crucial time. From an historical and scientific point of view, sometimes uh, we say that we are in the Anthropocene, which basically means from the Greek language, uh, the uh, period, the recent period of human beings. Uh, in year 2000, Paul Crutzen, a scientist, proposed uh, his name for his age. And I feel it's pretty clear why we are in this situation because human beings are able nowadays to change everything on this planet. We are able to change the climate. We are living a sixth extinction, meaning that uh, beings, animals uh, are um, disappearing at a rate uh, which is uh, scientists estimate about thousand times more rapid than if human beings wouldn't be on this planet. We are able to move more soil, earth, than nature is through mining uh, and different human activities. And uh, plastic is everywhere in terms of microplastic, nanoplastic, in the most remote islands on the Pacific and the North Pole, South Pole, everywhere. I've been reading recently this book about uh, the Anthropocene. It's a book uh, written by two French scholars, uh, Christophe Bonneuil and Jean-Baptiste Foisseau. And what is interesting, they propose also other names for the Anthropocene, which are basically synonyms, but they are uh, illustrating other sides of this period. They propose, for instance, Polemocene, which means the age of wars. There are many little wars going on, maybe uh, wars that are low-level wars, but still many of them, also with new weapons, including refugees as a weapon. Or they propose also the uh, idea of capitalocene, which means that capitalistic economy is very powerful in determining our destiny. They also call it thanatosen, where thanatos means death in terms of this uh, very high extinction rate. Or they call it phagosen in terms, it means the uh, era where we devour everything because we basically need more planets in order to allow our society to maintain uh, this actual livelihood level. And finally, they call it agnotosen, meaning the age of ignorance. Agnotology is the science uh, that studying how we ignore as human beings. It's basically a brain science, a cognitive science 
studying how as personal individual and as a society we tend to ignore. And we are very good at ignoring. We are in a very difficult situation, but still we are very good in living our daily livelihood as if nothing happens. So there are more uh, theories, scientific theories, trying to explain why it is like that. We are in a very difficult situation and we are very good at ignoring it. One explanation says that our brain is basically a prehistoric brain, a paleolithic brain. It still works as it used to work uh, 200,000 years ago. It's the brain of uh, uh, gatherers and uh, hunters community. And um, we basically still live on a fight or flight instinct, meaning that usually uh, if there is a danger that we directly perceive, we are able to escape. Or if we are just cornered, we might decide to fight and to try to have a little war. So this is why we are really able to cross a road. Uh, there might be cars and trucks, but we are able to cross it and to get on the other side safely because we see the danger. With the COVID situation, it's already a little bit more different. We don't see the virus and therefore some people don't believe it exists. And with the climate changes, is even different in the sense that we do not really directly perceive them with our sense perceptions. Let's make an absurd example. Let's imagine that every time we turn on an engine that works with fossil fuels like coal or gas, within five seconds, we get a tornado that destroys our car or our house or whatever. It's very likely that if this would have been the case, we would have abandoned fossil fuels decades ago. But it doesn't really work like that. It's more that if uh, millions or billions of people are using engines working with fossil fuels, it is likely that sooner or later, maybe tomorrow, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 100 years, some kind of climatic catastrophe might happen. So let's say the problem is awareness, and in particular, awareness of karma. Quindi possiamo dire che il problema è la consapevolezza, in modo specifico la consapevolezza del karma. Karma means action or action and reaction, and is usually represented by a chain. So if we have to look at uh, cause and reaction, and we look just at two rings of the chain, we can really detect clearly the link. But when the chain continues, it becomes more and more and more difficult and painful to see the results. It's interesting, when the Buddha reach enlightenment, uh, the description uh, is about these three watches. And one of these three watches says that the Buddha realized the past, present, and future karma 
of all sentient beings. So he became a big historian, knowing all the past, but also knowing the present, and knowing from the present, the future. So he basically defeated ignorance. So let's look at ignorance from the Buddhist perspective. In uh, Sanskrit, in the Sanskrit language, ignorance is avidya, where the first A is a negation. It means no. And vidya means knowledge or clarity. In Tibetan, it is exactly the same. It's ma rikpa. Ma is the negation. And rikpa means awareness or knowledge. And in English, it's exactly the same. The first I is the negation. And uh, ignorance it means really no knowledge from the Latin language. So according to the Buddhist teachings, there are two levels of ignorance. We could say a more rooted or basic level and a more, let's say, sophisticated or intellectual or refined level. So the first level, which is really a deep level of ignorance, is basically ignorance about reality. We ignore about ourselves, we ignore about our mind, and in consequence of that, we ignore about the world or about reality, because it's always through the mind that we can detect reality or the outside world. We could say that from the Hinayana or small vehicles point of view, we ignore egolessness. We ignore the fact that we are not a solid I that is permanent, singular, and independent from everything else. And when we put our attention on the breath during the sitting practice of, re- of meditation, we realize pretty soon that we are not independent. We cannot exist in a one-sided way from our own perspective. And uh, uh, from the Hinayana point of view, we ignore suffering, and in particular, the cause of suffering, the fact that we believe we have an ego. From the Mahayana point of view, we ignore uh, the state of reality, which is emptiness or shunyata. We ignore the reality that exists uh, independently from our own projections, from our own concepts that we project onto reality. And from the point of view of the the third turning of the wheel of Dharma, still a Mahayana teachings, we ignore Buddha nature, which is our own deep nature. And from the point of view of the Shambhala teachings, we ignore that we are basically good. Of course, we know we are basically good. I mean, for sure, we met a Shambhala teacher that told us we're basically good. But do we really all the time experience that? So this very deep-rooted, this basic level of ignorance is really about knowing about ourself and reality. And then there is a question. I mean, it's a very deep question. It's a $5 million question. And it is, 
Why we ignore? And the answer is very simple. It's because, because period. <laughs> Trumpa Rinpoche used to say that if there would be a real cause for our ignorance, in order not to ignore anymore, we would have to remove the cause. But because this cause would have another cause, we would have also to remove the cause of the cause and the cause of the cause of the cause and so forth and so on, backwards, infinitely. And this is good news. It basically means that we can work with ignorance at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days in a week. So another explanation is the explanation given by the great Nima master Longchenpa. He says that we ignore because we are basically good. He doesn't say exactly that, but this is the meaning. One of the most used analogies for basic goodness is the idea of the sun. And one of the most used examples for ignorance is the idea of the clouds. So the sun always shines and the clouds of ignorance are covering up. But the cause of the clouds is the sun. If the sun wouldn't warm up the air and water, we wouldn't have any evaporation. And without evaporation, we wouldn't have no clouds. So outside the image, we could say that we experience or we tend to experience basic goodness as too much. When we experience basic goodness, our mind becomes bigger, vaster, like a big blue sky. And we are able to perceive reality in a much deeper way. We talk about luminosity or brilliantness. And we experience empathy, compassion, warmth, and vulnerability. We experience that as, as too much. It's just too open, too spacious, too brilliant, and too compassionate. And so when we look at the sun, we decide it might be a good idea to put on some glasses. A third explanation is that we ignore because we are used to ignore. As human beings, we work on habits. And habits may be very useful because they allow us to save energy. And so when we try once to do something and this works, we tend to just repeat it over and over and over again. So we ignore because we are used to ignore since beginningless time. And at the same time, we can work with ignorance anytime. It's not so much about getting rid of ignorance. It's more about creating a situation. And this situation, this container, this environment, is called meditation. In a meditation practice, we're not trying to destroy ignorance. We're just looking at ignorance and discovering that it's not all the time there. The first thing we discover is that our mind is all the time chatting. It has all the time something to say about anything. 
But this continual gossip is really not so continual. It's like having blah, blah, blah. But if we look carefully, we discover that it's not blah, blah, blah. It's more blah, and there's a little pause, and there's another blah, and there's another pause, and so on. And in the meditative, meditative jargon, we uh, call that pause or interruption, we call it the gap. And if we are in the gap and we learn to stay in the gap, then there is no ignorance. Then we have a second level of ignorance, which is, as I say, a little bit more sophisticated and intellectual. It's uh, also a little bit more energetic and deliberate. In this case, we're talking about ignorance as one of the five root pleasures or uh, root afflictions or one of the five poisons. So the five poisons are passion, aggression, pride, jealousy, and ignorance. So here, ignorance is, let's say, more developed, more ripe, more deliberate. It's like walking on the sidewalk and there is a beggar sitting there asking for alms. And it's like having a moment of choice. We might choose between uh, acknowledging at least the beggar and maybe giving some money or just running away or continue on our way and we decide to ignore the beggar. And so I think we, we do collectively more or less the same with uh, climate emergency. On one hand, we just don't want to relate with any reality. But when it becomes uh, uncomfortable or inconvenient, then we more deliberately decide or intellectually decide to ignore this aspect or this side of reality. The activist, famous activist Johanna Massi, in his book Active Hope, uh, describes uh, seven uh, strategies or seven justifications by means of them we decide not to do anything about climate change. We just mentioned them very briefly. The first one is, I don't think this is so dangerous. Some kind of negationism. The second one says it's not my role to sort this out. We think it's maybe the role of politicians, uh, maybe the role of uh, scientists, uh, but for sure the role of somebody else. Third strategy, I don't want to stand out of the crowd. As human beings, we are social beings and we very much rely on the feedback from other people, friends, parents, and people we know. We need their friendliness and acknowledgement. And so we tend to adapt. Sometimes I assist to some teachers' meetings and at some point we have to vote by raising our hand and there are some people, they just very sure they raise their hand. Other people, they're sure and they don't raise their hand. But most of the people, which is the majority, it's like more like, you know, being a little bit doubtful and they look around to see what other people are doing. And finally, they do 
what the majority is doing. <laughs> Fourth strategy, disinformation menaces my economical or political or uh, societal interests. I might lose power, I might lose money. Fifth strategy is just too upsetting, too painful. I cannot relate to that. A couple of years ago, I asked a colleague of mine in the school if she was willing to work on sustainability and the climate crisis. And she said, just no, no, it's too much. I never read one book on that, no, never a single uh, uh, newspaper article. It's just too much. I don't want to relate with that. Too painful. Sixth, I feel paralyzed. I'm aware of the danger, but I don't know what to do, which is understandable. Seventh, there is no point in doing anything because uh, it won't make any difference or maybe it's just too late. So you can see that here there is more level of justifying one's position, which basically means it's not just ignorance, but it's also wanting to justify the position of ignorance or the stand of ignorance. And the Buddhist teachings say, we can really create a world of ignorance. of ignorance. Maybe some of you uh, looked, already seen uh, the uh, Bhava Chakra diagram, which is a representation. Bhava Chakra means the wheel of life in Sanskrit. There are six uh, different sectors which relate to the so-called six ego realms. And these six realms, they can be uh, also described as the product of passion, aggression and ignorance, both on a coarse level and on a more refined level. Or we could say at an intense, high intensity level, low intensity level. And the ignorance creates two of these realms, which are the animal realm, the so-called animal realm, and the god realm. Animals are seen as complete slaves of their own uh, habitual patterns. It's like the owner of a dog comes back uh, at home and the dog can really choose if he wants or doesn't want to wail his tail. And then we have the God realms, which is basically the manifestation or uh, the loka in Sanskrit, the sphere where the saying ignorance is bliss is really happening. Um, God realm or Deva Loka, as it's called in, in Sanskrit, is sometimes described as the product of uh, shamatha meditation. It's more really a strict shamatha where we really, you really try to concentrate on the breath so that if you concentrate with the breath, you don't have to feeling your own suffering or somebody else's suffering or the planet's suffering. So you, you basically in a subtle way using shamatha meditation in order to get rid of suffering, but you are not really dealing with suffering. So basically they say that gods have earned a very good karma, but in the uh, God realm, this good karma slowly exhausts itself 
And finally, the gods start to smell awfully. They are distanced by other gods. And finally, they fall into the hell realm, which is a situation of heavy suffering. So basically, the lesson is that we, we do, if we don't really work with ignorance, Quindi la lezione è vera, mentre che se non lavoriamo con l'ignoranza, um, the risk is that we find ourselves in some kind of hell. And at the same time, we have the possibility of awareness at any time. I remember once a student of mine asked me, but are you optimist or pessimist about the whole situation? I had to think about it for a while. <laughs> but I think I'm very pessimist and also very optimist. <laughs> I think we really should be concerned about the situation, but we are also very lucky in having the possibility to come back to our basic goodness at any time. So just to conclude, I've been asked uh, by Shambhala Online staff, or Faraday, to think about a uh, uh, for the week, which seems to be a tradition here. At some point, I, I thought it was good not to give any thought, because I think it's also good to spend a week without any thought to think about. <laughs> but then a slogan came up, which is, don't ignore ignorance. Don't ignore ignorance. So we could say, there is basic ignorance and there is ignorance of ignorance. So basically ignorance is a little bit like lying, lying about our nature and the nature of reality. And the very, very, very good liars, they forget that they are lying in order to be very convincing. And that, so there is this kind of double and triple security um, system that we set up. We ignore and we ignore that we ignore and we ignore that we ignore, we ignore. And I think it's not so much about not ignoring, but it's more about knowing that we ignore. And if we, if we really are aware that we ignore, if we really know that we ignore, is ignorance still ignorance? This is the question. It's like Socrates inviting us to know that we don't know. So I think this is the way to work with ignorance. Fully recognize ignorance as a very deep and powerful tendencies, but also to be able and to have the courage to enlighten ignorance with the power of the sun rays of our basic goodness, which is what we call sitting meditation practice. So I think I would stop here and maybe give it back to Fardy. Thank you so much for being here today with us, Acharya Bolini, and for such a wonderful talk. And um, if you would like to support what we're doing here further with Sunday gatherings, uh, you could make a donation um, if, if you would like. Um, all donations really help us uh, just keep these going. Next week's gathering 
on Sunday uh, features Susan Shea, and she'll be speaking about exploring natural hierarchy and the right use of power. And uh, thanks so much to all of you for being here as well today. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe to the podcast. We hope you can join us again soon. You can find out more about upcoming live Shambhala Sunday gatherings and our podcast at shambhalaonline.org forward slash Sunday dash gatherings forward slash.